Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, James Minnert, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, who's the associate director of the center. We're going to review the results from the October Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspectives on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 10th through the 14th of October. And Michael, the index came down again. The Ag Economy Barometer was down 10 points compared to last month. That leaves the index 16% lower than it was this time last year. And if you look under the hood, look at the Current Conditions Index and the Future Expectations Index, they were both down as well. The Current Conditions Index was down 8 points compared to last month. That leaves it 25% lower than it was in October of 2021. And the Future Expectations Index was down 11 points compared to last month, and that leaves it down 11% compared to October of 2021. Were you surprised that the indexes all came down? I wasn't necessarily surprised that they came down, but they came down a little harder than they thought thought they would, and so that maybe that's that's a little surprising. But but nevertheless, the last several months the index has not been very strong, and I think that's one of the key points here. And also, there hasn't been much difference between the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations. That's probably the most surprising part of the results we've seen for the last uh, couple of months, because I, I myself am more optimistic when you look at current conditions. You're looking at the 22 in particular, uh, and and I'm, I'm less optimistic as you move into 23, 24, uh, and past that. So I'm a little, that's that's probably a little surprising to me that those indices are the same. Yeah, that's interesting because if you look at the current condition index versus the future expectation index, going back to late summer, fall of 20, that current condi- condition index was above the future expectation index for quite a while. And then just the last several months, those two have been running essentially in tandem with each other. I kind of think that's a reflection of just uncertainty, don't you? I, I think this is, you know, that we're, we're so uncertain about both the current situation and the future situation that we have a tendency to respond almost the same way to both of those types of questions. That has to be what's going on. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And I, just one more indication, and, and I agree with you when you look at these indices, this was really just a continuation of the long-term downtrend we've been in uh, really now for, for quite some time. Um, the Financial Performance Index, after a couple of pretty good months, uh, came back down this month. It was a rating of 86. That's down 13 points compared to last month. Uh, that index was at 99 two months in a row. 86 puts it pretty close to where it was back in July. In July, it was at 88. Um, It does leave that index down 17% compared to October of 2021. And, you know, when I think about that financial performance index, it's a little surprising because if you think about where incomes are uh, in 22 and maybe even adding in 21, uh, and compare that to... uh, when we started doing the barometer surveys back in the late 2015, early 2016 timeframe, we're getting some readings that are very similar to what we were getting at that timeframe. And yet farm income is dramatically higher 
uh, these last two years than it was in 2015 and 2016. I think it has to be. It goes back to that uncertainty again. And I think there's also a lot of variability uh, in this Farm Financial Performance Index if you moved around the country. We never we never talk about specific geographical areas because we don't have enough, enough of each geographical area represented in the survey. But you start going to the Western Corn Belt in particular, the yields are not very good. And it's certainly a different situation if your yields were not very good, even if you have crop insurance, than if you're in the Eastern Corn Belt where the yields are better. And so I, th- I think that's part of what's going on is variability in, uh, in, in crop yields, uh, but also this underlying uncertainty. That's a good point as you move around the country. And, and of course, thinking about the Great Plains as well with the drought conditions that we've experienced in the, in the Plains states, especially the Southern Plains and, and Central Plains. So that, that is a good point, I think, with respect to maybe that we're picking some of that up. Um, we continue to ask the question about next year, what their biggest concerns are for their farming operation. And again, no big surprise, higher input costs came in at number one. That's the top rated concern among producers. Uh, the second highest, though, is int- rising interest rates. And that's two months in a row that that's been in second place. Um, and then availability of inputs and lower crop and or livestock prices uh, came in tied for third. So that was a little bit of a change, too, especially with respect to lower crop and our livestock prices. Because if you go back, uh, let's see, the first time we asked this question was in July. 19% of the people in the survey chose lower crop or livestock prices as uh, one of their big concerns. And then that was kind of coming down in, in August and September. And in September, only 8% of the people in the surveys chose that. This month, that came back up to 13 and, and really rated the same as the availability of inputs. Um, I'm not sure I was expecting that change relative to what we saw in September. How about you? Um, not necessarily, but one of the things I, I do would like to point out something here that I, I find interesting about this, and we've talked about this in the, in, before, 75%, a little over 75% of the biggest concern is related to inputs. And so what that tells me, and still we had, until we until we get some stability in input costs, input prices, availability of inputs, um, tamer interest rates, we're going to, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see that having an impact on sediment, uh, sediment being lower than what it would be otherwise. And uh, I, I just think that's that, that relates to the uncertainty related to inputs. That's a good way to put it. So to come up with the 75, you took the higher input cost, which was 43%, rising interest rates, which was chosen by 21%, and then availability of inputs was chosen by 13%. And you're right, that does, that does sum up to uh, uh, very close to that uh, 75% or three-fourths of the people in the survey. So if you think about it, that's another way of saying people are worried about a cost-price squeeze, right? Definitely. I think when I visit with producers individually outside the survey, you know, one of the things that I think people are concerned about is just the large dollar investment that they're going to have in putting a crop in the ground in 23 and worrying about whether or not prices will be high enough to cover that, right? Yeah, they don't necessarily say, well, it looks like corn prices are going to be 50 cents lower uh, in, in, in the fall of 23 than they are in fall of 22. That's not what they say, even though that's, if you look at futures prices, that's about what the, the difference is, 50 to 75 cents. What they say is what happens if the input costs are as high, if not higher, and the prices drop. And so it's, it, like, I'm just confirming that they're really worried about that, that, that margin squeeze. Yeah, and it's a risk factor, right? They're just a lot more dollars on the table, uh, and that that raises the risk component, and I think people are reflecting that in the survey. 
So we continue to ask this question about what people f expect to see for input prices in 23 versus 22. This is a question we've been asking going back to April. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that jumps out at me, Michael, is the fact that fewer people think that input prices are going to come down. The first time we asked this question, 18% of the people in the survey said that they thought input prices in 23 would be lower than in 22. This month, that was down to 6%. And as you look at the other end of the spectrum, there's still uh, almost 10% of the people in the survey who think input prices will rise 20% or more compared to what they paid in 22. Um, I, I find the, the tales of, those, of that distribution quite interesting in the sense that I'm, I'm just not convinced if we had asked this question, and unfortunately we didn't, but if we had asked this question, say, five or six years ago, I don't think we would have picked up this level of dispersion among people's expectations. Definitely not. I, I don't think we would have either. And and uh, and one of the things that's interesting as you move into 23, it seems to me that the that their 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 thoughts related to how fast input prices are going to go up match general inflation when you look at the averages. But go back to the tails. The tails are much 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 wider when you talk about input prices uh, given their thoughts related to inflation. Uh, and so that tells me they really don't know. Uh, there's just tremendous uncertainty whether it's going to be 5% up, 10% down, or 20% up. Yeah, I think it's also a reflection of the fact that they know in the last couple of years, input prices have gone up much more than uh, the general rate of inflation in the U.S. economy. So um, this is a, a question that we haven't talked about much in, in recent months, but I, I thought it was worth bringing up this time. Um, we've been asking a question for quite some time. Over the next five years, do you think ag exports are more likely to increase, decrease, or remain about the same? And the interesting thing about this is the low percentage of people who think that we're going to see ag exports increase. This month, it was down to 36%. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I think that's the lowest percentage saying that they expect to see exports increase that we've gotten? Yes, that's the lowest we've gotten. And that includes those 1819 where we were worried about soybean export exports. So to me, that's just another indication that people are concerned about the future, um, uncertain about how things are going to turn out. Because from a long-term perspective, ag exports uh, have grown over time. And so you're really forecasting or, or at least thinking that there might be a risk that we're going to see a reversion of what has been a long-term uh, source of growth for the U.S. ag sector. Um, again, I just think that's reflection of uncertainty and, and just concern about what's going on and maybe one of the reasons why that, uh, that index of future expectations is, is as weak as it is, right? Farm Capital Investment Index did rise this month. It was up seven points. Uh, but it still leaves that index well below where it was this time last year. This time last year, it was 17%. Uh, well, I'll rephrase that. This month's reading was 17% lower than it was in October of 2021. October 21, the index, I think, was a reading of 46. And, of course, if you go back to the fourth quarter of 20, for some perspective here, that index was above 90 uh, so we have lost a lot of confidence in that Farm Capital Investment Index. And, and to remind our listeners, that index is based on a question that says, is now a good time or a bad time to make large investments in your farming operation? And so people are telling us 
it's it's not a very good time to make those large investments. What do you think? Yeah, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. That's why we've had a follow-up question uh, talking about the primary reason now is a bad time to make large investments. And and one of the things that, that really sticks out when we ask that question, it's the higher prices for farm machinery and, and new construction. You know, 40% of the people in October said that that was the primary reason why they th- thought not, now was a bad time to make large investments. And, you know, if you look at what's happened to... Uh, um, the farm machinery cost index that USDA publishes, Michael, um, those numbers have just gone off the charts here these last two years. And so I think people are telling us, um, you know, relative to the pre-COVID era, uh, these prices are very high and that's, that's discouraging us. It's not the same, though, as saying that they're not going to buy stuff. And I think that's one of the things we've had to learn from, from the questions we've been asking. It, People don't view this as a good time to make those large investments because they can't get a good deal, right? When is a good time to make a big investment? When I can get an attractive deal. Well, can I get an attractive deal in the current environment? Uh, it's difficult. And so I think people are telling us that, that's, but that's not necessarily holding back sales. For example, if you look at tractor sales, uh, combine sales, et cetera, those sales have continued to be pretty strong. Um, but still, as, as you think about it, it's... Uh, uh, we're going to see some change here, I think, going forward. One of the things that we are picking up a little bit, and it's a little premature to say this because uh, we don't have a lot of data yet, but if you compare the results in this month and really the last couple of months to the first time we asked this question back in July, more people seem to be worried about the impact of rising interest rates. So in, in July, 14% of the people in the survey said that the primary reason was rising interest rates. That rose last month to 21%. This month, it was essentially unchanged at 20%. It's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the winter if we see more people talking about interest rates uh, and not just about the prices of farm equipment. I think as we move it forward into 23 in particular, uh, to the extent that cash flows are, are, are strong and, they, and they're thinking about making uh, in investments in 23, which is a big if, there's a lot of uncertainty related to 23 uh, cash flows, I think it's going to be a, a, even a bigger issue uh, next year. I think right now, and in, 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 you look at 21 and 22, the cash flows are pretty strong. And so there, there could be quite a few people are buying the machinery for cash or, or very little debt. As you move forward, that may not be as true. Yeah, depending on what part of the country you're in, if you had good crop yields uh, this fall, uh, I think as farmers visit with their tax accountants, they're probably going to get some advice uh, to make some investments to reduce tax liabilities. And that might be a good strategy depending on where they're at with their machinery, right? If, if they've been in the yeah. situation of holding back uh, these last several years, maybe it is time to make some investments. And of course, the time to do that is when your taxable income is high. Uh, but we always we always encourage people to use caution. I mean, there's other reasons to buy machinery besides mitigating taxes. That's an important reason, but you've got to be able to cash flow it long term. And so, if you're not putting a huge down payment on that, and you're going to have to make payments down the ro- down the road. You're looking at a more uncertain future than you, you probably were even five years ago. I, listeners know that I hesitated there because they <laughs> knew you were going to jump in with that cautionary statement. Uh, so I, I just waited for that to come along. And I, and I agree with it. So I don't, uh, I def- definitely, uh, case. Um, we've been asking a follow-up question on farm machinery, which was plans for farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. Uh, we started asking this question in March of 2020, so we don't have a real long history on it. Um, For a period of time there, starting, I think, going back to about March, 
we were seeing fewer people saying they were going to reduce their purchases. Uh, that was almost every single month, not quite going back to March of, of 22. And then all of a sudden this month it jumped a little bit. And I'm not sure what to make of that, Michael. So just for perspective, in March of 22, 62% of the people in the survey said that they were going to reduce their pharmacy purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. In, by September, that percentage had dropped to 47%. And it looked like we had a pretty strong downward trend with respect to people cutting back on farm machinery. In October, it went to 52%. And I'm not, statistically, I don't know that that, uh, well, I'm pretty sure that's not statistically significant. But do you think we're seeing a change there? Or do you think that was just kind of a blip in the data? It, it could be a blip, but that certainly would be consistent with the financial performance index. There, there, you know, there was people thought that the financial performance index needed to be lower. They weren't as confident uh, that 22 was going to be as good as they perhaps might have thought it was going to be a few months ago, and uh, and 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 so therefore maybe there maybe the people that that aren't real confident in their in their finances this year are, are not going to purchase machinery. Yeah, that's a good point. And so they may be looking at their cash flow situation. Maybe the yields are disappointing, something like that. And so it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens in the next month or two as we get closer uh, to making making these late year decisions on whether to purchase machinery to mitigate taxes. Yeah. And we're also getting to that time of year when people, the way the question is phrased, they start looking at 23 versus this year. And if they're making purchases here in the fourth quarter, they might be saying, we're not going to make those purchases in 23. So we'll have to kind of watch that carefully going forward. Um, there's always a lot of interest in the short-term and the long-term farmland value expectation indices. This month, both of those indices rose. The short-term index was up 10 points. That still leaves it 15% below where it was this time last year. Um, the long-term index was up as well, not as much. It was up five points compared to last month. That index is down 11% uh, compared to a year ago. And you know, I should point out to our listeners, the long-term index is not as volatile as the short-term index, as you might expect. Um, still, given some of the things that are going on, it was maybe a little surprising to see those indices rise. My best guess is that this was driven by reports of new record high prices coming off the auctions this fall. So I, I mean, every, I'd say just about every auction report I've heard here in, in kind of the central and eastern Corn Belt over the last uh, few weeks has been a new record. And I wonder if that didn't influence people in terms of responding to this question. I think it probably did. And also, you don't hear many cases where people were really disappointed. You don't, maybe you don't, maybe we just naturally don't hear, hear about that, but you don't hear that pretty widespread that they thought they were going to get this amount and they, and they, and, and it was a no sale or you, you don't, you don't, you don't see that occurring maybe as frequently as you, as you think you might. And certainly uh, we are hearing those kind of stories in the housing market, right? Yes. We're hearing uh, properties staying on the market longer. Uh, in the housing market, we're hearing about properties that are selling, selling at reduced prices compared to a few months ago, at least in some markets, not in every market. So, so far, the farmland market has not responded in the same way that the housing market seems to be responding to higher interest rates. Um, and I find that interesting. Uh, we've been asking now f- since the beginning of this year, among the people who tell us they think farmland values are headed higher in the next five years, 
what's the main reason they expect those farmland values to rise? And the response to this has been very interesting. Um, strong support for the idea that non-farm investors are really significant drivers of the farmland market. In September, 62% of the people who said farmland values are going to rise over the next five years said the primary reason was non-farm investor demand. This month, that came back down to 47%. Um, and at the same time, we saw a change in the response to people choosing inflation as the primary reason. In September, 22% of them who expected to see farmland values rise over the next five years said it was because of inflation. This month, it was 35%. Um, are those just two different ways of looking at the same thing, or are we actually picking up something different between those two? I think those two are very closely related, and, and so you know, maybe some people have a hard time distinguishing between the two, but I think they're very, they're very consistent with strong uh, non-farm investor demand. Yeah, when I hear people talking about inflation driving farmland values, it probably is a combination of both farmers and non-farm investors, but certainly in terms of pulling in non-farm investors, one of the reasons you might think that would be true is because they think it's a good inflation hedge. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see that going forward, what, what happens to that. Um, last month, we talked about the fact that far fewer people were choosing low interest rates as a reason why farmland values would increase. Going back to February, I think 9% of the people who said farmland values are likely to rise chose low interest rates as being a main reason. In September, that fell all the way down to 1%. This month, it bounced back a little bit to 4%. Again, do you think that was a blip in the data, or do you think we're seeing something going on there? That's almost got to be a blip because low, you know, we don't have low interest rates anymore. Interest rates are going up. But what's truly remarkable about this question is how small uh, the fundamentals really are uh, in terms of the other responses. I mean, you, you add up the strong farm cash flows and low interest rates, it's very tiny percent. And so it makes you wonder, what's going to happen here uh, when we get these higher interest rates? How large an impact is that going to have on farmland? Is the inflation and the non-farm investor demand going to outweigh uh, the impact of, of, of higher interest rates. I don't think so, but uh, but we don't know. And so it's going to be really interesting to, to watch this question. Maybe we should add a question uh, the, you know, in, in the next month or two uh, that, that really gets at this. What are the key drivers uh, of farmland prices in today's environment? Yeah, that's a good point. I think we, we have talked about adding a question. So I think uh, next month when you listen to the podcast, hopefully we'll have some, some additional information to shed some light on this. And I agree with you. I, I think interest rates are going to have an impact. It's just a question of whether or not, uh, how quickly they hit. Uh, my best guess is by the time we get out to 2024, we're going to see some impact from rising interest rates. Um, there's starting to be some discussions about what a new farm bill would look like. So we thought this was a good time to ask some questions about uh, farmers' perspective on, on policies that are influencing um, their farming operation. So the way we phrased the question was, which of the following policies or programs will be most important to your farm in the next five years? And we asked people to check um, a maximum of two, th two items or two, two buckets. So the choices were climate policy, conservation policy, crop insurance program, environmental policy, and interest rate policy. And 
maybe a little bit of a surprise, the number one choice was interest rate policy. That was chosen by 36% of the people in the survey said that's the the policy that's probably going to have the biggest impact on their farming operation in the next five years. They didn't choose uh, traditional ag policy kinds of things like crop insurance, uh, conservation policy, or environmental policy. Uh, that was very interesting to me. Crop insurance did come in second at 27%. Uh, if I had to guess before the survey, I probably would have picked that one number one, truthfully. I would have too. And environmental policy came in third at 16, and then climate and conservation policy uh, tied at uh, essentially 11%, I think. That's, so uh, one thing I guess I should clarify, I think this question only went to crop producers. It didn't go to livestock producers, so I should clarify that a little bit. It wasn't everybody in the survey. It was everybody in the survey that raises crops. Um, were you as surprised as I was that interest rate policy came in number one? I like to talk about interest rate policy, but definitely I thought crop insurance policy would be the overwhelming choice because uh, when you talk to producers, that's what they, they, they worry about that. Is the crop insurance program going to change? So that means that farmers are paying close attention to what the Fed's doing and, and what interest rates are doing, and they're at least thinking about it. And again, I come back to farmland values. I think if they're worried about interest rates, uh, that's probably going to show up in farmland values ultimately, right? So. Well, part of the interest rate policy also is probably inflation. I think most people know that those are tied together, and so we're raising interest rates to reduce inflation. So, and so that I think that's consistent with them checking inflation being an important farmland factor. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, we did a couple other questions related to policy. We asked how effective is the current crop insurance program at providing producers with a financial safety net. And we got kind of a middle-of-the-road response to this. 56% uh, said somewhat effective, 28% said very effective, and then 16% chose not effective. Um, that's probably in the ballpark of what I was expecting. I mean, it's a bell-shaped curve. I, you know, people are kind of middle of the road on this. Do you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, and, then, and this is all crops, and so it's not just corn, soybean, not just wheat. Uh, you've got all the crops in there, and you know, obviously, if you you parse this out into different uh, commodity groups, they might answer this differently. To me, I guess it says that people aren't really upset with crop insurance the way it works today. They at least think it's reasonably effective. So I guess that's kind of a plus sign for crop insurance. And and I think it's probably supportive of the idea when you take that somewhat effective and, and very effective category, add them together, you've got, I think, what, 84% of the people in the survey. Um, I think that's pretty strong indication that crop insurance probably needs to continue at least somewhat along the lines that, that it's outlined uh, currently. Um, people would be upset if that was not the case. We also asked how effective are the current ARC County and PLC Farm Bill programs at providing producers with a financial uh, safety net. Um, we did get a little different response to this than we got on the crop insurance. Again, not too surprising. Somewhat effective came in at 61%. Very effective was only 11%. And, you know, Michael, I think that's a reflective of, particularly on the PLC side, that the PLC uh, prices embedded in that are too low. Yes, that and we really haven't had a, an ARC County payment for like corn and soybeans, for example, for the last three years. Uh, and so I, I thought there might be more negativity uh, regarding this question because of that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, we, we essentially more or less flipped the very effective and um, ineffective uh, ratings on, compared to the prior question. You know, uh, 
11% said this was very effective and 28% said not effective. And if you go back on the crop insurance question, 28% said very effective. So you wasn't exactly a flip, but it was pretty close. Uh, and I, th I think you're right. So uh, we're going to see a redesign on those, I think. And the question is, how do we do it? And uh, you and I were talking about this the other day. Setting those uh, prices for the PLC is kind of tricky. Very tricky because you have to you have to think about cost of production, but you also got to think where do you think the long run price is going to go? Uh, because if it's too attractive for a particular commodity, you're going to get uh, you're going to get more acres in that commodity, and it's going to drive the price down. And so you got to be really careful in, in where you set those and where you set those vis-a-vis -vis the other crops. Uh, and so that's a lot harder than some people might think uh, to do that right. It's really a matrix kind of a question, yes. right? You and. Uh, the challenge, if you think about it from a long-run standpoint, you know, where, where are long-run prices, for example, corn, soybeans, and wheat headed? Well, it's going to depend on what cost of production does, right? Uh, long-run, that, that is how those tend to play out. So the challenge with the big run-up in cost of production is to try and identify, well, how long-run is this increase in cost of production, right? Are, are we, is this something we're going to have to live with for an extended period of time, or is this a kind of a short-term situation that we'll see re resolved. And just give you some idea of how ex how extreme that the long-term is compared to the to the short-term. If you look at the, the average cost of production for corn, for example, uh, in Indiana, using our budgets from 2007 to today, it's 450. If you look at the break-even price for, for 22 uh, and 23, 23 in particular, it's $6. And so where do you set it? You, you set it at $6, that's probably going too high. Uh, is 450 high enough? I, I don't know. Well, I think our listeners are somewhat taken aback by you saying you don't know. Come on, Michael, you're going to have to stick your neck out a little bit. Well, the point I'm making is, is if people thinking that's going to be five fifty-six dollars, you're going to say, now, wait a minute. That's a lot higher than that long-run average, because the long-run average is well above uh, $370, where the current PLC price for corn is. But it's not it's not $2 above $370. It's more like $0.80 cents to a dollar. And I guess, you know, thinking about it from a longer-term perspective, we have a history in the foreign policy of, of setting those prices, the old days, the old target prices, too high. Yes. And causing some disruption. So I think that's going to be the challenge. So I think uh, that's going to get debated. And I, and I guess we didn't really ask this question, but if I had to guess today, we probably will see a modified versions of Arc County and PLC in the next Farm Bill. Do you agree with that? That would be my guess. Yeah. So I think the debate is probably going to turn into one of how do we restructure those existing programs um, as opposed to starting over. And those will be at least a straw man. You know, what, what are we you know, looking at those programs? Do we need to tweak those besides just increasing the PLC prices? Is there are there other features of those programs that need to be tweaked? Well, that wraps up our discussion today. For more details about the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, you can go to our website, which is purdue.edu slash agbarometer. Um, the next Ag Economy Barometer will be released on Tuesday, December 6th. And, Michael, I have to say it's a little hard to believe we're already talking about December. That seems like that this year has been flying by. Um, so with that, I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And on behalf of my colleague, Michael Langmer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm James Minter. Thanks for listening. 